1: Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Rika Soderlund, the CMO at Katana Cloud Inventory, a company that provides SMBs with easy to use inventory management software to get them real time data that they need. In this episode, Rika discusses staying accountable for intentional experimentation, how she invests in talent and why
0: she dislikes the term marketing strategy. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com.
1: And now please enjoy this interview between Rika Sutterland, the CMO at Katana Cloud Inventory, and your host, Ian Faison.
0: Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by a special guest. Rika, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you, and thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on the show. We're going to chat Pipeline, we're going to chat Marketing, all the cool stuff that you're doing at Katana, and everything in between. And today's show is brought to you by our friends, as always, at Qualified. You can go to qualified.com to learn more. Qualified is the number one conversational sales and marketing platform for companies, revenue, teams that use Salesforce Head over to qualify.com to learn more. Rika, first question here. What was your first job in marketing?
1: Oh gosh. I don't know if this would even qualify as a marketing job, but it was telesales, or I guess telemarketing oh. you could call it. Selling magazine subscriptions, cold calling. My God, that was a harsh landing to the world of marketing.
0: <laughs> that really is. It's as it's 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 It is as tough as it gets. And flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about your role at Katana.
1: Yeah, so I am currently the CMO at Katana Cloud Inventory Management. So looking after all things marketing pipeline generation, obviously driving our growth and all that good stuff.
0: Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given. You are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? Where we can go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. Zooming out, what does Katana Cloud Inventory do and who are your customers?
1: Yeah. So Katana cloud inventory really, it solves the issue of how much stock do you have and where is it? So if you think you're, you think you're a product centric company, a branded products, you need to know what's in your inventory, what's in your store, what's in your e-commerce store. You have multiple places where you store your inventory and sell your inventory. You can't really track that with spreadsheets. And unless you're a multi billion dollar conglomerate, you also can't really install any like on-premise legacy software to do it. So you need an agile cloud-based solution for it. And that's what Katana does.
0: Yeah. And what, what are the types of companies they you sell to?
1: Yeah. So the core audience for Katana is really the small business entrepreneurs, and medium sized businesses as well, not the massive global companies, really. So it's the small bakery chain that's really focused on one state. It's the cosmetics company that's sells on Shopify products that they manufacture. It's those small businesses that are building their own products, but it's very industry agnostic. So it is from cosmetics, food and beverage, heavy machinery, auto parts, like you name it, everything that you can think of.
0: Yeah, and it seems like this the these these type of companies now with this modern tech stack, they need this type of inventory Solution they have, like you said, they have things like Shopify, they have a bunch of other tools that y'all integrate with like WooCommerce or QuickBooks Online and all those things, but they need this inventory management piece of it. Who's who's the one who is the one like, you know, the the core buyer who's in that buying committee of Katana?
1: That's a good question because it's such a, it's such an integral part of your tech stack. Like you said, you you can integrate it to your e-commerce store. You can integrate it to your accounting and you probably have to, if you want to keep all those systems. Accurate in real time. So often the buyer is actually the CEO, the COO, the founder of the business, because it's not any one function that's responsible for this, it's the entire company that's built around that branded product. So it's often very high up in the chain that the actual decision makers, but then the users of the product can vary depending on the business model. And that's, of course, an interesting challenge then for marketing.
0: And what does your marketing org look like?
1: Yeah, I have a... I have a fairly large marketing organization relative to the size of the company. We're now about 150 people and the marketing team is 15 people of that 150. So it's your typical product marketing, really focusing on the value proposition, positioning of the product, all that good stuff. And then brand marketing that handles our content design, PR, just the awareness building and credibility building of katana and then of course growth marketing which i guess you can summarize as pipeline and all that goes with it.
0: And what's your what's your marketing strategy to acquire all those different types of companies and all those different types of geos and and industries and use cases?
1: Yeah, god i hate the word marketing strategy. I just I'm, i do not believe <laughs> in all? marketing strategies. Like there's we have a company strategy and marketing is one of the functions within the company that executes that strategy. So our strategy is to go after those SMB companies. And the way that we do it is the company was really built on just capturing existing demand, very focused on search, SEO optimization. But we're at a stage of our growth where scaling does require some demand generation as well. So I guess that's what you could call is my marketing strategy, like inserting that more proactive brand and awareness building into our strategy so that we can also spark interest, not just capture existing interest.
0: Yeah, hitting that, that growth lever where people are They're probably problem aware, but they're not sure if if they're solution aware yet or even if there's something that that they need to do. It's a much different mindset to convince someone why they need something rather than, you know, sell them the thing that they're looking for.
1: It's a very different process in many ways, which is one of the reasons why I'm not a fan of the word marketing strategy, because it's not like a marketer comes in and implements a strategy and then everything works beautifully. It requires other... Functions within that sales process to actually implement either the same or a, an aligned strategy for it to actually then work.
0: Yeah, and then zooming into the pipeline piece and how demand fits into that. How do you think about demand within within marketing and, and in your growth function for an SMB type audience?
1: Yeah, for us, it's really... Capturing first and generating second. There's so much market potential in this space. Inventory management is a is an interesting space in the sense that it's not very crowded. There aren't that many solutions in the market. But then we really approach it as a pipeline building exercise. Marketing is a core function that drives revenue for Katana. So we're not a outbound sales-led organization. So generating that demand through marketing methods is a core strategy for Katana. So we try to approach it from multiple different angles and honestly just experimenting, seeing what works and what does give us that sufficient pipeline to then convert our revenue goals.
0: All right. Any other thoughts on, you know, strategy or, well, company strategy or marketing pipeline stuff within that, or buying committee or any sort of differences selling to your audience before we get to the next segment?
1: Yeah, I think the, the key is really to keep in mind that it is that SMB audience. So the buying process is a little different from multiple angles than it would be with a very small company or with a larger enterprise. So that does define a lot of the decisions I make or the choices Katana has made, it is that audience, that customer first attitude.
0: Yeah. What's interesting for me, I mean, like, I, you know, SMB is as, as categorized by like the whatever small business administration is like a pretty wide range, <laughs> you know, it's yes. like the, the five person company. And I think it's up to, I don't know, like hundred or it's a 50 million in revenue or I, I don't even, I don't even know, yeah. but it's a pretty wide, wide group here. And, you know, you, you mentioned sort of On the higher end, you have like massive organizations that have like built their own software, something on prem or something like that. But I feel like there's a huge gap between SMB and and the enterprise there in like that mid market. Just curious how you think about like your ideal customer profile and the size of an organization of when it gets to be to the point where, you know, someone is of a certain size.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's exactly why Katana was built. Because when you grow to that phase where you're, let's say 10 people instead of just one or five people, you start to need software in order to actually be able to track your inventory. You can't do it with pen and paper or, or spreadsheets anymore. But then there's so much room to grow and scale. So let's say to 100, even 500 employees you still don't really need a massive suite of tools. I love the example of Excel. Like you honestly, you'll only use 5%, 10% of all the functionality that it has. Kind of the same with inventory management. You can do a million things with the most robust software out there, but do you really need it at this point of your growth stage? Not so much when you're still in that small or mid-market size, there, there's a dozen or so jobs that you have to get done. You don't necessarily need everything under the sun in order for your business to be able to grow.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's just something about like a lot of like these cloud-native type coming, I mean, Caspian's one of them, that are 100% built in the cloud, super agile, super fast, and can do things augmenting the with augmented with technology that in a way allows you to you know if software's not working you just rip it out and and just put in something else and it's you know generally speaking not not that big of a lift and so to add on you know a technology to your to your tech stack which like isn't massive to begin with is is not super cost prohibitive
1: exactly and that's of course reflected in katana pricing as well so the price point is also something that's competitive and targeted to the smb market again it's almost strange how how quiet it is in this particular niche of ours
0: yeah on our next segment the playbook this is what's great about sports this is what the greatest thing about sports is you play to win the game hello you play to win the game where we open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items?
1: Yeah, I think the first one for me is always content. I think it's so completely underestimated and people throw money at the program spend or the ad spend, but it does not matter. If you don't have really good content that actually resonates with your target audience, if they don't care what you're advertising, then then what's the point? You're just wasting money in the ad spend. So I think content is definitely one that I would never compromise on. A second one, like I'm a B2B SaaS marketer, so obviously I need to say LinkedIn. Like How, <laughs> how could I ever do this without LinkedIn? And there are multiple reasons for it, not just targeting and the formats that they have. But the fact that people are in the mindset of buying software, buying tools for their business when they're on LinkedIn, it helps. It's a good channel. It just it just is. And the third one, and in many ways, this is the first one: people, like, talent development, making sure that the team has room to grow and we invest in their skills and well-being. Like, without the team none of the other stuff matters it's at the end people who then matter if you win or lose
0: i want to zoom in on on content here for a second i love on your website that if you go to the resources tab and you hover over case studies that you highlight in the same your key color there this this lime green That's the same thing for get a demo and it's the same thing that like, lights up when you hover. You highlight little sections of the case studies. So how QuantAQ streamlines their workflows or effortlessly stays in stock. I feel like that's a nice touch. And I, I never see anything like that. But it really stands out.
1: Thank you. It's the, it's the little things like production value matters. That's exactly yep. you. You made my boi- point beautifully. That's exactly what I mean. It really does matter what you do with your content, not just where you promote it.
0: Well, and it seems like the way that you're investing in content is obviously, you know, you have like regular blog content, but you have a ton of different guides and you have a ton of different free tools. I'm curious, like, how do you think about investing in content for the SMB audience?
1: A lot of the investment is focused on acquisition as well. So making sure that we are relevant when someone is searching for us. So optimizing towards SEO, but then Mm -hmm. the way that we approach that investment, especially next year, will be a lot more funnel focused, making sure we know what content resonates in which part of the funnel, what sparks awareness, what is that consideration content you need and how our customers are actually interacting with the content not just in the purchase funnel but also customer funnel, another area that's often overlooked. Current customers go to the website as well. They read your content yeah. as well. It does play a role in full funnel, not just acquisition.
0: Yeah. And so so you mentioned obviously SEO being being a key part of that. Outside of SEO, what types of things are are you creating and like how do you how do you create stuff? Do you have like a roadmap? Do you have like a content calendar and and that sort of stuff? I mean, some of these guides, you know, the ultimate inventory management guide, things like this, these are pretty weighty, weighty tomes here with lots and lots of really good information.
1: Yeah, exactly. This year has really been a year of experimentation for us. So we've created those. That's a good example of a really long format content. And we've created short format versions of it. We've tried guides, we've tried checklists. And the way that we then evaluate what content works or not is really based on what purpose was that piece of content built for. So to my point, is it built for building awareness or is the purpose to attract a person to the website? Or is it at the very end stages of the process that final piece were customers already ready to convert to become a customer. That's how we then figure out and determine what content resonates at which part of the funnel.
0: Any of the pieces of content there that particularly stand out to you as as something that you were maybe surprised worked so well or, or something that works just really well in general?
1: Trends and predictions always work so well in all parts of the funnel. I'm always thinking that it's only awareness building, but that's just from year after year, that's the piece of content that seems to resonate with all audiences. Everybody wants to know what's the next big thing, what's happening next year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, obviously Caspian, we make 65 plus different types of podcast series. And so when we're making them for our customers, one of the things that we always sort of like talk about is like the the what's next type segment or question or thing. And those are, you know, really good spots where you can pull a quote out. 'Cause yeah, no matter what, I mean, like we're all interested in, in how people are thinking about the next twelve months, twenty four months, whatever it is. So exactly. any way that you can lean in and, and try to get people's predictions on that, like we're all just guessing anyways, right? So it's and you have to guess, right? Like you you have to say, well what you know, like we all have imperfect information, so hearing how your peers are doing it is really important.
1: Exactly. But we do have some information, so we do our best to package that to our customers. Whether it's those peer insights, what are like similar companies to yours doing, or whether it's based on some of our data, we have over two billion in revenue flowing through our platform annually. So that's a lot of wow. like, SMB-focused insight that Katana can offer from inventory management.
0: Love that. I love. That. I love any type of content that's that's that first party data driven stuff as like my favorite because nobody else can do it.
1: Exactly, that's how you build a brand.
0: Yeah, exactly. What about, you mentioned your LinkedIn strategy being being core, what, what types of things are, are you doing on LinkedIn?
1: We're doing all the things. <laughs> this too is an experimental channel for us this year. So we've we've used it from like lead generation and in email campaigns to awareness building. Really, like awareness building with awareness ads. Even that seems to work. Fairly well, if you're really focused on what is it that you're driving to do. In our case, visits to the website, not leads, not conversions, visits to the website. So it has multiple purposes. And it's really then more a question of choosing what is it that you want to do? What is required? Because you can do it all.
0: Yeah, that's super fascinating. Do you find that because you're selling to so many different types of industries, and so many different size organizations and verticals and stuff like that, that LinkedIn is great because it gives you sort of like a built-in business audience that could be sort of anyone. Like it's, I imagine you could cast a extremely wide net, for your audience and that might be either really helpful or, or really hurtful on, on exactly. LinkedIn with targeting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's a two-edged sword. Yes and no. So it's definitely the fact that you can target different size of businesses. The titles are important for us, understanding the the buying committee, like you said, who are the people actually buying. But it's then also the fact that it's not too wide that you are actually fairly targeted. And I can actually say that it's that 10 10% person to a hundred person company. That's really our ICP. That's the sweet spot. I can do that very confidently on LinkedIn compared mm-hmm. to other channels.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting in mid-market and enterprises, like everyone in LinkedIn is, is on LinkedIn all the time. Maybe not everyone, like developers aren't or whatever, but but generally speaking, like senior leaders are on LinkedIn a lot. So. But I'm curious, like how many of more SMB type companies are, are spending a lot of time on LinkedIn, spe- like, especially in like, you know, a retail vertical or something like that. So it's interesting to, to, to hear you, you know, spend a lot of time on, on LinkedIn like we all are.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's also something that companies that grow do a lot when you're growing, when you're trying to figure out your next steps, your next tech stack. You kind of tend to spend time on LinkedIn and see what your peers are doing. So again, it comes to the mindset as well of what mindset people have when they're on LinkedIn. It's very it's it works well for B two B marketers.
0: Yeah, and I think you're just in a mindset too, where you're just looking to pass some time, or or you know, engage your brain, or you know, do yeah. something,
1: learn something, just find something new. You are in a receptive mindset for sure.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's the polar opposite of being called on your phone, where you yes. are probably doing something else at that time. And the last thing that you want to do is, is speak to another person. Exactly. Okay. What about something that maybe you're not investing in or something that's your most cuttable budget item or something that's not working?
1: Well, I guess to the same point of LinkedIn is working, Facebook isn't. Like. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up on Facebook. It just, uh, for, for B2B lead generation, I like, I feel like every six months or so I'm like, okay, now let's try again. I'm sure they've now improved something and it never really works for cheap leads. Sure. But for actual business conversions, no, I'm giving up.
0: Yeah. I, I just talked to so many people that are just not on it anymore of, uh, of a certain age and demographic of people. And I, I think a lot of those people are still on, on Instagram, but it's just not, it's like the same, the same case that we were making earlier of like, when you're scrolling on Instagram, you're intentionally not working, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you know, you're trying to escape or exactly. as you log on to LinkedIn, you, you, you are working. Yeah. You're not doing that for fun.
1: Exactly. So for me, it's definitely that Facebook, not, uh, not investing in it next year.
0: What about experiments? What are what is what's your in your experimental budget? What's your like the 10% that you have set aside for crazy stuff?
1: Yeah, we did a lot of that this year. So for 2024, I'm not setting a separate experimental budget just because the whole purpose of having an experimental budget is to improve your results, improve your conversions or improve your LTV CAC. And I feel that those experiments have to fit in like within those, the, the framework that we have in general. I don't need to exclude it from, for example, our LTV cal- calculations, which I guess is the reason why you would have it separate so you can be smart and say, oh, this doesn't count. It doesn't matter if we failed there. I think it matters. I think even yeah. experiments have to be intentional. And they have to drive results, and I want me and my team to be accountable for what experiments we do. So it's hidden in the budget. It's there, but it's not its separate line item.
0: Indeed. Any experiments that you ran in the past that were that, that were surprising or, or interesting?
1: We've done a lot of experimentation with audiences. This year, just trying to understand what audiences resonate with our message and what don't, because we're industry agnostic, it's kind of, you can't really personalize to every single audience and industry. So that's been one that's been interesting. We've done a lot of experimentation with AI, generative AI, especially seeing what we can and what we can't use it for, understanding that. So that's something that, again, I wouldn't put it in my experimental budget anymore because... Now I know. So it's in. It's a part of the tech stack now, the parts that actually did work. So things like that.
0: How do you view your website?
1: Oh my God. Right now, I'm not viewing it at all. Uh, we're, we're exploding it, to redoing it. It's oh the most overlooked assets, always, always for B2B SaaS marketers. I don't really understand why that is. Because it's... The most important touch point that you have. Every single prospect and customer goes to the website. It's the part that you should be investing the most, not the least, in.
0: Yeah, I I could not agree more. And I don't I don't really get it either. It's it's just like how your website works is is probably how your product works, right? It's like it's kind of that simple. It's like if it's you don't invest in it a lot, like how are they ever gonna think that your product is any better?
1: Exactly. It's brand, it's conversion, it's business. Like we literally would not have a business if there was no website. It's not like you can walk into a store and purchase katana software, it's the website. So it's it's by far our most valuable marketing asset.
0: How do you measure success?
1: Revenue. I have a gazillion other marketing KPIs, of course, but at the end of the day, if we're not driving revenue, then it doesn't matter. I am not a fan of measuring leads or MQLs or it honestly, if, if revenue is the only metric that tells you, did you generate pipeline? Did you reach the right audience? Is your value proposition correct? And is your brand Resonating with that target audience—it's the only one that combines all the aspects of marketing.
0: And in, 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 are there any sort of like leading indicators to revenue, or things that that you find are particularly helpful or, or useful?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, yes. From a pipeline perspective, we tend to look at SQL, so qualified sales, qualified leads. That's really the the metric where I feel most comfortable. I'm, like I said, mm-hmm. not a MQLs, it's easy to generate cheap leads, but the match with the audience is really of key focus for me, that it's not just volume, it's also quality, and SQL is the best leading indicator then.
0: What big trends do you think are coming?
1: Mm. I mentioned AI already. I actually don't think that's a huge trend for marketers next year think it was this year. I think every smart marketer did a lot of things with AI this year, learned a lot, and is now perhaps not looking to over-invest next year. I think 25 will be a more interesting year for marketers in terms of AI when the design aspect and generative design is also a bit further along. Uh, Right now, it's more useful in the copy and editing front. So, that's definitely one thing that we'll keep an eye on, but not necessarily looking to invest heavily in.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting interesting point. I haven't heard that, but I like it because I'm kind of in a little bit of wait and see mode. I'm kind of ready for all the tools that we're using now to sort of like take the next yeah. step of whatever that is. Because like I feel like we are by no means are, are experts in them, but... Kind of know what you know what you got right now when it comes to like specifically AI, AI as it relates to marketing. And so many companies are putting AI into their product and it's sort of like very early, you know. Yeah. I saw something super funny. This is totally random. There was this like car dealership that their chat and it said like powered by chat GPT. And the person screenshotted it and was like, Why pay for Chat GPT? Uh, and was asking the bot on the website <laughs> all these, like basically just treating it like Chat GPT and just, just okay. like like their personal Chat GPT is just asking it all this stuff. And I was like, That's <laughs> hilarious. It's and so I feel true. like, th- <laughs> anyways.
1: So if you're measuring your marketing with revenue, doing things like that probably don't unlock a lot of incremental value in 24. I think we've kind of we're at a point where we know how much uh, value we actually get from AI tools and it's not going to exponentially change in the marketing realm next year. That's that's my prediction for uh, for next year.
0: I like it. I think that's a really, I think that's a, that's a really sound, sound thing. And I think also why I think that's pretty, pretty interesting for me is AI is moving so fast and we have no idea what's going to happen with it. And so it's like, yeah, there's a possibility that in three months there's some, you know, massive thing that happens or drops or comes out and, and it sort of changes. But like, we can't predict that, but like, I, I mean, like I said, like we're using a bunch of AI tools and, you know, We've we've kind of we've actually been using AI tools for a little while and like, you know, they do what they do and we're getting proficient with them, but beyond that, it's like I, I kind of feel the same way. Cool. Fun prediction. You mentioned just team, you know, as, as one of your 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 three channels and tactics. Obviously, you know, really it's it's the number one of, of of all is team. Curious, what are you doing to make your team better? How do you invest in them?
1: Yeah. I think it's a combination of of understanding the individual growth goals and what their motivations and aspirations are, and building on top of that, and then combining that with company goals and company objectives that you need to, for example, do upskilling with the team, making sure that they have the right skills and tools at their disposal. So, when you can actually combine those aspects that's the sweet spot. So it's both kind of skills training, but then also just connecting that with their personal aspirations.
0: All right, let's get to the dust-up. Uh-oh, here comes Trevor You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales teams, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you ever had a memorable dust-up in your career?
1: I love this question because I'm such a normally such a calm person and I never, ever get emotional in meetings except once. It has happened once in my life. It was almost 10 years ago and I just lost it in a meeting with... My CEO, my then CEO, and our advertising agency. It was a meeting about building our first e-commerce store. It was a D two C brand, and the brand didn't have any e-commerce presence. And the ad agency wanted to build the most flashy and experimental site that was completely unusable. I was the head of digital for for the brand at the time, and I just. I could not get them, the, both the CEO and the agency, to understand that that's not the way you do e-commerce. And <laughs> it it, it's, it wasn't. I was right, but I wasn't able to convince them. And we built that stupid site anyway. So obviously <laughs> the learning for me was that I need to get better at internal communication and influencing opinions and people. And that's hard. It doesn't always, it's not enough that you're right. That doesn't guarantee that the company makes good decisions. You also have to make other people understand your point of view. So that was definitely a learning experience.
0: I love it. All right, let's get to our final segment here. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly Qualified helps companies generate pipeline quickly. A lot of cues. So you can go to Qualified.com to learn how you can tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. You can talk to someone right now. Go speak to someone on Qualified's team. You can buy it in the next 20 minutes. Not quite, but pretty much. Quick Hits. Rika, are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Shoot.
0: Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume?
1: Mm. Writing. I'm a writer. Literally, that was my training. I trained to be a journalist. So I do write quite a bit still, but it's not on my resume anymore. Used to be. Used to be a copywriter. That was how I started.
0: That's fun. So, how do you view writing now, now that you're a CMO? And I'm sure editing uh, a lot more than you're writing.
1: Yes. And not even honestly, not even doing that, that much as a CMO, I spend most of my time with spreadsheets, not, not writing or design or anything fun. It's more about numbers than anything else. To me, writing is my creative craft. I wish I was a painter or did music or something to me. It's like, I love a blank page. That's where my creativity then comes to life.
0: I love that. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you'd recommend?
1: Yeah, I'm not really loyal to any one show or podcast or book. Mm -hmm. I jump around. Currently, I'm listening to a lot of sales podcasts. I think every marketer should listen to sales podcasts as well to really understand what's going on there.
0: I could not agree more. I just listened to a show the other day, a product podcast, because I was trying to get more product information. And that stuff is so helpful as a marketer. Um, there's a great post by Emily Kramer from MKT one, where she talks about how marketing teams are actually more like product teams than they are like sales teams. And I find that extremely fascinating.
1: Interesting. I need to yeah.
0: check that out. Yeah. Shout out to Emily. Favorite non-marketing hobby that indirectly makes you a better marketer.
1: Exercise. I go to cycling classes and when your heart rate is like at 95%, that's like when you get your best ideas. I swear that's when you get your best ideas. The trick is then you need to remember them after the class. And that's the hard part.
0: (laughs) If you weren't in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing?
1: I would be a kindergarten teacher for sure. I would spend my days with toddlers. I love kids. They're so good when, because I spent my days with you know, influencing perceptions and how people see products or propositions. I would just love to be in a very straightforward relationship. And that's easiest with a four-year-old.
0: Oh, they're the best. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. And and it's just so fun. And all of, we went to like a birthday party the other day, and all the kids are just so, so so fun. (laughs) What is your... Best advice for a first-time CMO? Hmm.
1: I guess reflecting to my desktop story, understand the internal dynamics of the company, understand who is there and why they are doing what they're doing, because only then you can plug marketing into that bigger picture, and then it starts to make sense and you can get your voice heard as well. It matters much, much less if you're doing the exact right things. It matters more who are you doing them with and why.
0: Rika, it has been absolutely wonderful having you on the show today. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug?
1: Thank you. No, it, it, it's been fun. Thank you for having me. I guess just it's... It's such a great time to be a marketer. Honestly, 2024 is probably going to be one of the most exciting years with all things that are happening with technology and seeing what's going to happen with AI and injecting brand and creativity into that to actually get your voice heard and message across. It's just, yeah, it's the best time to be a marketer.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm super excited. I mean, I think that there's so many tools, there's so many things. Obviously, there's a lot going on, but it just allows you to pick your lane and pick and choose how you want to build your team and all that stuff. And there's no right way to do it. And yeah, it's, it's exciting. If you're a marketer that that works in apparel or cosmetics or electronics or food and beverage, and you need to figure out your inventory solution, go to katanamrp.com to learn more. Well, Rick, it's been wonderful. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Ian. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.